you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 17 here in just a second. Uh, but I want to just share with you, how many of you have ever dealt with an assumption? How many of you have assumptions on other things? One of the misguided assumptions is that when I miss church, they don't even miss me. Listen, can I tell you, when you miss, we miss you. Okay, that, that, that just needs to be said up front. And so this morning as we're kind of talking about uh, assumptions, uh, I, I want you to think with me because we all have assumptions. It's part of our human nature that we assume certain things should be the way that they are or shouldn't be the way that they are. And so let me give you kind of a, a working definition to go with this morning because uh, I think that we need to understand this. So here's the definition. An assumption is a thing that is accepted as true or as certain to happen without proof. Catch that. This is something that we assume. And so, listen, one of the great things uh, that I got to do yesterday uh, was a buddy of mine invited me to the Georgia-Florida game. And so uh, I've never been, and uh, this was a wonderful experience for me. Uh, what I didn't know is that his tickets were actually in the Florida section, which, just so you know, made this even better for me. And so I was standing at the back, and uh, this guy came through, and he was wearing his Florida gear, and he looked at me in all my Georgia gear. Uh, just so you know, I'm not the bald guy that paints Uga on my head. I know that that probably is an assumption that you might have had. That's not me, okay? Um, but as he was walking by, he says, y'all ready to get beat? I was like, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. And I didn't say anything because if you know this and this, there's not much room between those two. So uh, I just kind of let it go. And then when he got done and he was leaving about halfway through the third quarter with the rest of the majority of the Florida fans, and he, sorry, and he walked by me and he didn't say a word. <laughs> I was like, See y'all later. <laughs> See you next year. But it's, I, I love that he walked in with the assumption that his team was going to win. I walked in with the same fear that I've had as a Georgia fan of losing that game my whole entire life. But it's crazy that he had that confidence walking in. And so when you think about assumptions, here's some funny assumptions that we make. Um, a person assumed that people were throwing avocados in his yard. And he was so mad that he went immediately to his social media neighborhood page because that's how we resolve conflict these days, right? And so he went out there and he said, hey, please stop throwing avocados in my yard. They're getting smelly. I'm tired of picking them up every morning. Please stop. A couple of days later, sorry, I didn't realize there was an avocado tree in my yard. <laughs> crazy how quickly we would assume that somebody else would do this. I love this next one. <laughs> and I feel like this explains society all too well. Uh, this person assumed that a plastic bucket would handle the hot grease out of the deep fryer. Just throwing that one out there. Then this next one is probably something that I would do or get in trouble with. The wife said, hey, we need to replace the door. And I said, sweet, I'll go to Home Depot. I'm going to get a door. Don't you need to measure it? Nope, I got this. Comes back, installs the door that's two inches short. <laughs> and so this door doesn't even fully close. And so the assumption was that all doors were the same. And so we have this. We have real life assumptions. How many of you assume that when you turn on the faucet at the water, that, it, that water will actually come out? You ever turn it on and go, I wonder what will come out today? You assume water. 
How many of you have the assumption that you go to the grocery store and they will have everything on your shopping list in stock? Anybody? Yeah, that's a good assumption. How many of you assume that your internet connection at your office will be available and reliable? Okay, this is a good assumption, right? How many of you assume that your alarm clock will wake you up at the time that you set it? If you don't get confused with AM and PM, right? So it's not the alarm clock's fault, it's user error on that. We have assumptions that are within the church. How many of you assume that there would be a comfortable chair for you to come into today? Imagine, okay, good one. Next week, no chairs. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, Richard, you get a chair. Uh, So when we go to this, man, imagine that if you walked into this place and you said, man, where did all the chairs go? Sweet, we get to sit on the floor. Said nobody ever. Some of you assumed that the room would be slightly cold. Okay, good, amen. I'm warm-natured. Sorry. How many of you assume that there should be coffee and donuts? Because listen, we can't worship without coffee and donuts. Amen? I mean, it it ain't even church if we don't have that. How many of you assume that the pastor would deliver a great sermon as always? Okay, good. About three of you guys. (laughs) So that's, I was kind of hoping not to have to quit my job after that, but we'll see. Man, it's crazy that so many people have assumptions about Jesus. They assume that he would be this way or he's done this or an assumption that we have. And listen, if you've shared Christ with a lot of people, you've heard a lot of different assumptions of who Jesus is and the things that he did. There was an immediate assumption that we're going to deal with this morning that the religious leaders thought that Jesus would condemn instead of accept. And so I've kind of titled this Assumptions Gone Wrong, something that, that kind of lays the framework for this. Because the religious leaders assumed that Jesus would do something a certain way, and he didn't. And so we pick this up in Mark chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14, where Jesus calls a tax collector. He says in verse 13, he went out again beside the sea. Now, if you've seen up to this point, most of the time as Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee in these early phases, he's going to call somebody as a disciple. He's called fisherman. He's called now Levi, this tax collector. And so understand that as Jesus was walking by the sea, this crowd was following him and he was teaching. And all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Now realize, this is a corrupt profession that Levi is in. This is something that, and listen, it still has that same connotation today. How many of you love a tax collector? Sweet. About as much as expect me to preach a good sermon. Good. I got that care. No, I'm just kidding. This was something, and I love the understanding here. He says, to understand the weight of this account, it's essential to understand what it meant in this culture to be a tax collector. These are Jewish men working for Rome. If you understand the Roman oppression that was on the Jews, this was this heavy presence. These Jewish men working for Rome who are known for lying and stealing. They are traitors and thieves and respectable Jews had no fellowship with them. So Jesus goes to this person that is an outcast, a person that is hated, a person that would not we welcomed within the Jewish community, and he says, follow me. 
to give kind of a context for the Levites and the, or for Levi and the people that would be in his community, people that would be his friends. A Jew who did this profession disqualified themselves from a couple of things. The first thing, a Jew who did this disqualified himself from being a judge or a witness. If this person was going to be called upon to judge an occasion or to even simply be a witness to say, hey, I am an accurate witness of what took place, they would not hold them as a valid witness. Imagine that when they went into this profession, they were expelled from the synagogue. The Jewish people would tell them, you are no longer welcome at the place of worship. You can't be here. They were considered a disgrace to their family. If a tax collector touched a house, catch this, if a, ho- if a tax collector touched somebody's house, it would now considered unclean and have to go through a cer- ceremonial cleaning because the tax collector touched the person's house. This is astounding to me. The Jews were forbidden to receive money and even tithes from the tax collectors. Imagine the tax collector going to the synagogue saying, hey, listen, I just want to give to the Lord. (laughs) Not here. Get out of here. Your money's not welcome here. Listen, just so you know, this doesn't happen in the Christian church today. Okay? But understand, they didn't want anything to do with it because they considered it money from a robbery. Imagine. Love the the, the further understanding. Because under Jewish law, you were not allowed to lie to people. But the only people that you could legitimately lie to is that Jews could lie to tax collectors without it being considered a sin. Now, it's kind of funny because a lot of you didn't know you were Jewish. (laughs) Right? But imagine, this was the only caveat. Hey, we need to uh, make an animal sacrifice for this sin. Oh, I lied. I lied to who? Oh, a tax collector. Oh, that's not a sin. You're good. Imagine, this is the Levi that was being called to be a disciple. Levi's response in the midst. And can you imagine the crowd that's surrounding him looking at Jesus going, Jesus, you got the wrong guy. That's a tax collector, not him. You imagine the disciples that were following going, Jesus, listen, I I want you to understand, we chose to follow you, but I want nothing to do with this guy. This hated profession. It's amazing because a lot of times we look at Jesus and if we were instructing Jesus to how to have a successful ministry, we would tell him, hey, find the people that are charismatic, find the people that are likable, find the people that are liked, and they will be able to help you further your ministry. (laughs) Jesus goes, no, I'm going to take this guy. Most hated in the community. So Jesus takes it a step further in verse 15 and 16, where Jesus eats with sinners. I love what he says in verse 15. He says, and as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
So listen, imagine this crowd and these disciples and these religious leaders waiting for Jesus to teach, saying, Jesus, please teach us everything that you know except for how to love this tax collector. Leave that one off. <laughs> Levi opens up his house. Jesus says, let's eat a meal together. And to understand Jewish context and understand historical context, you were only eating with people that you wanted other people to know that you were with. This was a huge deal. To give kind of the uh, occasion of understanding, this would be the equivalent of eating with people that were the worst in society and somebody seeing you with them and you being embarrassed. So the assumption would be that Jesus should not even be in this presence, should not even be in this house. Definitely shouldn't be with these people. Verse 16, and the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing here? To give kind of a, a little bit of a further understanding here. It, it would be like you seeing me at a place that I don't belong and you just assuming that I'm sharing Christ with them. And most of the time the assumption would be like, there it is, I knew our pastor was going to do that. Listen, the reality of what's taking place is that the religious leaders are looking at Jesus going, hey dude, you crossed a line. We thought you were the Messiah until you walked into this place with these evil sinners. Imagine that there was two divisions in the room. The scribes and the Pharisees standing in the back looking down their nose at Jesus as he's eating with these, these sinners and, and tax collectors. And all the tax collectors are like, oh man. Why are they staring a hole? I feel like maybe the, the scribes and the Pharisees in this uh, moment were probably giving some of our favorite uh, southern backhanded compliments, like bless his heart. So I, I've got a couple that, as I was reading this, I thought maybe the religious leaders were saying this. They're just plain people. There's nothing wrong with that. But they don't belong with Jesus. I like this one. Maybe the religious leaders were saying, their biscuits are not done in the middle. But maybe we can overlook that. It's crazy to think. Because now it calls into question the assumptions of how we see people. But Jesus clarifies, he says, listen, I want you to understand the reason why I'm here, the reason why I'm with these sinners, the reason why I'm with these tax collectors and thieves and the outcast of society is this. Verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Can I tell you the thing that makes no sense to Jeff Hubbard? When my doctor schedules a well check, I don't understand it. Yep, doc, I'm not sick. Yeah, but you're probably going to be. We know you, right? 
We need to do blood work. You're overweight. <laughs> Doc, it's always been that way. <laughs> Come in, do this. Come in, do this. And I'm just getting there going, listen, I, I only want to go when I'm sick. Jesus clarifies to him and he says, the sick need a physician. It's crazy that Jesus clarifies to them that the reason that I came is not to affirm the religious not to make you guys feel better about what you are doing, but to come to the sick. Jesus gives them the implication that you are not well as religious leaders. You need a doctor too. It's interesting that when you study this out, I think the scenario would have went a whole lot different if Jesus would have looked at Levi and said, listen, you are awful for the things that you're doing. I can't believe that you're taking advantage of people this way. And all of the religious leaders would look at him and affirm him and say, you need to turn towards Christ and quit doing this. Everybody would applaud and say, yeah, Jesus got him again. Jesus walks to him and says, follow me. Then he sits with them with all of the eyes burning holes through the back of his head. And he fellowships. It's interesting that because if this would have happened, I promise you it would have been documented really well. If the first order of business when the, the food was sat on the table, that Jesus says, hey, before we eat, I'm going to pray, and the prayer would look something like this. Lord, all of these sinners, all of these tax collectors, all of these evil people need to repent and turn towards God. There's no mention of Jesus calling out any of their sins in this moment. He just fellowshiped with them. Jesus came for sinners, but he's given this warning to the self-righteous. I love how one author documented, he said, while the Pharisees may not have understood, Jesus was warning them of their own self-righteousness. Jesus is warning them of the futility of trusting in their own religious works and their adherence to the law. I ask you this morning, what are some of the assumptions that you've carried in here this morning? What are some of the assumptions that when you walked in, you expected certain things to be a certain way? Maybe you expected me to just be glad that you're here and tell you all the things that you want to hear. Listen, the reality is that that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to preach what Christ has laid on my heart. Well, let me deal with a few wrong assumptions. I tell you that assumptions keep us from doing God's work. Let me play this out just a little bit. We assume immediately that God can't use us. And if I've heard this once, I've heard it a hundred times. God hasn't given me those gifts and the abilities. God can't use me to do this. And I tell you, nowhere in Scripture does it ever say that God calls 
the qualified. We assume that we're not good enough. The reality is that is a true assumption, but it does not keep us from doing the work that God's called us to do. We are not eloquent enough. We are not trained enough. We are not this. And we begin to label all of these different things. Can you imagine if Levi looked at Jesus and goes, hey, not sure if you're new here, but I'm a tax collector. Everybody hates me. I don't think you want me to be with you. Listen, if you've come in here with the assumption that Jesus can't love you, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Listen, the world that's around there is telling people Jesus doesn't love people anymore. Whatever your profession, whatever your background, whatever you're going through, I promise you in this place, Jesus loves you and cares for you. One of the assumptions that keeps us from doing God's work is that we think God should do it a different way. See, we're we're very similar to the scribes and the Pharisees in this moment. Jesus, you could do more good if you found the right people. Jesus, you would do a whole lot better for your ministry if you just got the right people in place. I think one of the assumptions that we make is that he's not doing it the way that we think, so he must be doing it wrong. (laughs) Look, one of the things that I hate is sometimes he doesn't do it on my time schedule. I love this assumption. We compare and you go, listen, he hasn't done enough for to ask me to do anything. I've been praying about this for years and he hasn't done this, so I'm not going to do what he's asked me. What assumption is keeping you from doing the work that God has called you to do? Second, don't assume your righteousness is greater than Jesus' love for sinners. Matthew Breeden says it this way, as, an American, as American church attenders, we can very easily find ourselves in the position of the Pharisees, trusting in our religious habits and looking down on those who are less pious. Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees should remind us of our own position as sinners and of the danger of self-righteousness, both to ourselves and to others. I love the passage of scripture that kind of correlates with this in Romans chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. Paul lays out this understanding of Gentiles and Jews. And he says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that Listen, the reality is that grace is in the midst of this. Jesus is not looking at you, seeing what you have to offer him. He is laying it on the table and saying, I've come here for you. Third assumption. Don't assume Jesus can only save good people. 
you've read throughout Scripture, this is a continued theme with Jesus. Listen, this gives a guy like me hope. This should give a people like you hope that God doesn't just save good people. And Jesus went out of his way to pursue all types, all sorts of sinners. We must be just as faithful to go to those who need Jesus with the message of salvation. Listen, your assumption says this person would never respond to Christ. This person, look, you don't know my coworker. You don't know what they do. You don't know how toxic of an environment they create. I tell you, do you know Levi? I want you to imagine something for just a second. Imagine that somebody assumed that about you. Imagine somebody assumed that Jeff Hubbard was too prideful or too arrogant or too this or too whatever, and he'll never place his faith and trust in Christ. We wouldn't be sitting here today if somebody had listened to the assumptions that you hold on to and use over and over and over. We must avoid sin, but we must not avoid sinners who need salvation. Last assumption. Don't assume that Jesus limits salvation to those that you think are worthy. And can you imagine the religious leadership walking away in the conversations that they were going, going, dude, I really thought that guy was the Messiah. How much more wrong could I be? He just invited a tax collector. Conversion of Levi and others in this passage is a good and helpful reminder to us that all who repent and believe will be saved. In Christ, we can be forgiven, and we should share this message of forgiveness with everybody that we come in contact with. So I've laid out a passage of Scripture to you that deals with your assumptions. And my hope this morning is that when you walk out of this place, there are no more assumptions. There are only people that need Jesus and your willingness to tell them about him. My question as I close, will you get rid of your assumptions that are keeping you from doing the work that God has called you to do? Everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. Worship team is going to come forward and sing a song of invitation. But before they do, I want you to begin to kind of scroll through in your mind. What assumptions did you bring in here today? Was it an assumption that, man, you're so thankful that God could speak to you and offer salvation to you, but you didn't think that he could offer salvation to those that are around you. Maybe it was an assumption of that I should be affirmed or 
everything should be my way or what I should want. Listen, whatever assumption that you brought in here this morning that is keeping you from doing the work that God has called you to do, it's time to get rid of it. I imagine that there's a community in Pooler, Bloomingdale, South Effingham, all these surrounding areas. is ready for a church to stop assuming that they don't need Jesus anymore. A group of people that have the boldness that when God puts it upon their heart to share the love of Christ with somebody that's undesirable, that doesn't help anything for the cause, but that you just simply get the heart for the Lord to put it on your heart that you would share Christ with them. Stop assuming that people don't need Jesus. Nowhere in Scripture does it lay that out. Stop assuming that God can't use you because I promise you, everybody that was in that crowd thought there's no way that Levi can be used, especially to be a disciple. In three and a half years, a faithful ministry Never once did he waver. He wasn't the Judas that walked away. So I ask you this morning get rid of the assumptions. Maybe you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, and you've assumed that there's no way that God can love you. story about a tax collector, the most hated person in society and realize that God can love him. He can love you also. Whatever assumption that you made this morning, whatever something that you brought in here this morning, put it away. Dear Father, I come to you as a man with a lot of assumptions. about how things should be done and where you're at work and where you're not at work. Father, I pray that you would help me to stop assuming and start listening to you. Father, may my response be the exact same as Levi's. That I would truly follow you wherever you would lead me. With the people that are closest to me, the people that are farthest from me, that I would share with everybody that I come in contact with. Father, I pray for those that came in here with assumptions. <coughs> Take those assumptions off of their shoulders as they walk out and be willing to do the work that you've called them to. Father, we love you and praise you this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. And at this time, the worship team is going to sing a song. This is a, a song of reflection, a song of invitation. Maybe you've carried some assumptions in here and you're just ready to lay them down. Listen, this altar is open to you. This isn't a place of judgment. This is a place of reconciliation. You say, God, I'm ready to change my assumptions. I'm ready to do what you've called me to do. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, listen, I'll be sitting right there. I've got 
about some elders that are in this room or maybe the person that you came with you feel the most comfortable with. And don't leave here not placing your faith and trust in Christ. Whatever you, God brought you here, maybe just to hear that simple message. Stop making assumptions and start listening to what Jesus 